in the afternoon we were flipping the channels and I stopped and it was um, the Boston Marathon mm. and I saw this this petite woman going towards the finish line and she like got down and she kissed the floor she was crying but I mean I had no idea what I was watching I just know that I was just hypnotized by that mm. and I was like I'm gonna do that one day. And everybody, and I said it out loud. I didn't even realize that I said it out loud and everybody started laughing at me. Like my mom, my sisters. I mean, again, now I would understand it. But back then I was like, what are you laughing at? I'm going to do it. And I literally woke up the next day and I, I ran down Queens Boulevard. I mean, I, I lasted a mile, but I was just like, okay. And at that age, I think I was like 13, 14 years old. Every other day, I took it a block more, and by the end of a couple of months, I was running a 5K, and then... You're listening to the Sasquatch Trail Runners Podcast, where every run is a trail party. I'm your host, Kim Levinsky, and today's episode is the recording from our Run Venture Zoom series on Facebook Live from Wednesday, October 21st, 2020. We sat down with Patty Alcivard to hear her inspiring life story of overcoming a difficult childhood, becoming a professional boxer, and diving into the world of running, mountaineering, and ultra running. So sit back and relax or grab some tater tots and hit the trails and enjoy the show. Today's podcast is brought to you by one of our favorite brand partners, the Mama Beck app. The Mama Beck app is there for all of your trail running game time decisions. Are you about to do something on the trail that's somewhat questionable? Not sure if you should take that risk? Simply open up the Mama Beck app to utilize the live chat feature and get an answer to your question instantly. Dear Mama Beck, should I do another loop on this trail? It's almost dark and I don't have a headlamp. Mama Beck responds with N-M-B-A, which stands for Not Mama Beck Approved. Search for the app today and send all of your questionable decisions over to Mama Beck. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the next episode of the Sasquad Trail Runners Run Venture Zoom series. I am joined here by my very good friend, Patty Alcivar, and I'm so excited to get into the interview. I'm going to preface it right now by saying we are not even going to scratch the surface of who Patty is. It's going to be one of those interviews where I know the hour is going to fly by. So we will do our best, and I promise that I will leave time at the end for questions. I won't hog all of the time. Okay. So before we jump into our interview with Patty, I'm going to give you the rundown of where we are at with Sasquad Trail Runners. Like I said before, this is the 12th episode of our series. All of the previous episodes are now live on our Sasquad Trail Runners podcast. You can find that anywhere that podcasts are streaming, your, your favorite platform. We're on Apple Spotify, Google Play, you can find us on there. Just search for Sasquad Trail Runners. So a little background on us in case you're not familiar with who we are. We started hosting trail parties in 2018. That's what we call our trail races. And now we have races all around the state. We're up to about 11 events throughout the year. We had to skip a few of them this past year with the pandemic, but Over the last few weeks, we've gotten back out on the trails for our in-person events, which has been very, very fun. We had a great turnout for the last two events. We had uh, in September at the Wachung Reservation in Mountainside, New Jersey. And then just last weekend, we were at the South Mountain Reservation in West Orange, New Jersey for our annual Last Squatch Standing event, which was originally scheduled back in April, but we rescheduled it 
to last weekend. It was a really, really fun day on the course. We actually had two new course records set for the men and the women. Nick Cruz set the new men's record with 27 miles at a blistering six minute pace for that final mile. And Lauren Longfield set the new women's record with 22 miles, again, at a blistering pace of seven minutes and 15 seconds. So this is a negative split. Every mile, there's time coming off of the clock, which is just, it's, a, it's so much fun to watch as a race director. It's really, really fun to watch everybody push themselves. So that event, we had our annual sock drive for our charity partner, Sockcess. It's a big part of who we are here at Sasquatch Trail Runners. We always have a, a local charity partner that is local to the race where we are hosting the event, to the location where we're hosting the event. So Success, they get new socks to those in need in homeless shelters around Hudson County, New Jersey. That is the number one requested item in homeless shelters. And so you guys donated a hundred pair of socks along with some really generous monetary donations. And we at Sasquatch are gonna match that number which will bring our lifetime donation to over 1,200 pair of socks in the last three years, which is really, really fun. Uh, next weekend, actually, I mean, just in a few days on Saturday, October 24th, we are doing our annual Run, Hike, Eat event at Hackle State Park in Chester, New Jersey. This is not a trail race. This is just a trail meetup. It's informal. We set the time and the place, Hackle around 9 a.m. Come to the park with your friends and family. And then you're going to go out and just check out the trails at Hackle on your own. And if you feel comfortable, you can run with other folks who are there, or you can just go on your own or with your family and friends that you came with. And then one mile down the road at Hackle is the cider mill with amazing cider donuts. You don't want to miss that. We'll head on over there afterwards. Again, it's a very family friendly event. It's a great opportunity to invite maybe a road runner in your life who's never tried trails. It's fun to check it out. And the foliage is going to be beautiful at Hacklebarney this weekend. Then next month on November 28th, we are going back to the South Mountain Reservation in West Orange, New Jersey for the Squatchy Leftovers 5K, 10K. So for that event, we're gonna offer two different start times at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. This is gonna allow us to have more runners come out, but we can spread people out. So each start time is gonna be limited to 100 runners. And the last two years that we've done this, the event has sold out. Uh, we've capped it, I think, at around 150 per event. So we're thinking that it's probably going to sell out both uh, start times. So hop on ultrasignup.com to get your spot for that event. And then we have our final in-person race is scheduled for December 19th. This is traditionally we've been at way, way on to state park, but the state parks in New Jersey aren't issuing permits for the rest of the year. So we are moving this event to the Malin Dickerson Reservation in Jefferson, New Jersey. It's actually not too far from uh, Weiweyanda. It's out that way in Sussex County. We just got the official permit approval from the parks. We're just waiting for the final okay on the loop that we propose for the trail. So once they give that to me in an email, I'm gonna launch the registration site on ultrasignup.com. And that is our night race, which is very, very fun. If you've never tried tra night trail running, this is a great opportunity to do it. You can come out with your flashlight headlamp and you can run or hike and the course will be very well marked with reflective ribbon. It's a great opportunity to try out some night trail running. So that about wraps it up for what's going on in Sasquad land. So now is the fun part of the night, which is why you're all here. I'm going to tell you about my friend Patty. 
So like I said before, Patty, I, I know we're not even going to get through everything, but I'm going to do my best to keep us moving so we can chat about all these amazing things that you've done in your life and your career and what's on the horizon for you. So Patty, Patty is an amazing person with a really incredible life story. So I first met Patty this past summer through my friend Rosa Tolentino, and I hope she's watching this or catching the replay afterwards. Rosa invited me to join her and Patty up in the White Mountains to tackle the 32 mile Pemi loop in the White Mountains. And at the time I was training for my first 100 miler, so I thought, you know, this would be a great training experience to get some elevation and time on my feet. And 17 hours later, we finished those 32 miles with definitely a lot of memories that would last a lifetime. And so if you're watching this and you're a long distance hiker or you're an ultra runner, you know that you can make some really awesome friendships through experiences like this. Or it could be totally miserable if you don't get along with the person you're with for that amount of time. But thankfully, we had an awesome time out on the trails. And while we were still out on the mountains, we were already planning the next adventure that we would do. And Patty and Rosa both said, you know, we got to go to the Adirondacks. We had to hit the high peaks and do the Great Range Traverse. And this is kind of an intro to me to these, you know, big mountains, big distances. So I naively was like, oh, well, if we did the Pemi Loop, how hard could the Great Range Traverse be? And they both looked at me straight face and said, it's, it's more difficult than the Pemi Loop which was hard to believe at the time, but everything they said about the Great Range was very true. So we again spent about 16 hours out on the trails in the high peaks. And through these two trips, I got to learn so much about Patty and it seemed like everything she shared with me was more amazing than the last thing that she had just said. So I'm excited for you to hear her story and what she's accomplished in her life and career. And right now, I want, to, I want to take a minute to read the bio that's on her website to set the stage for what is ahead. I was going to summarize it, and then I was worried about missing some details, so I'm just going to read it out for you. It's a couple paragraphs long, but I think it's important to just for you all to get the, uh, you know, the basic groundwork of who Patty is, okay? So Patty, aka Patty Boom Boom, and we'll get to that later was born on December 12, 1980 from parents who immigrated from Columbia. She is one of four sisters who grew up in a small bedroom apartment in Woodside, Queens, New Jersey, uh, New York. Definitely not in Jersey, New York. Her father left when she was eight years old, leaving her mother to take care of four girls. Patty left an abusive home at the age of 16 after completing her first New York City marathon. She knew that if she could complete 26.2 miles on her own, she could do anything. She completed high school with honors while working after school to support herself. After graduating from high school, she started working at Sanctuary for Families where the staff offered free skill enhancing courses, but instead Patty chose a course called The Art of Boxing. She knocked the wind out of her coach and longtime friend Martin Snow during a demonstration and that was the beginning of her boxing career. Patty is a two-time New York City Golden Gloves champion, a USA Nationals champion, New York Metro champion, Western States champion, and the first female to ever be voted to win athlete, to ever be voted and to win athlete of the year as by voted by the United States Olympic Committee. As a professional boxer, she captured the New York State title and hopes to win a world title before retiring from the sport. Patty's 
passions include alpine and mountain climbing, and one of her goals is to be the first Latina boxer to climb the seven summits of the world. Among her goals is to complete an Ironman, write a memoir, and develop a foundation for young women. Woo! Okay, Patty, <laughs> incredible. And like I said to you on the phone the other day, like I don't even know where to start when we jump into <laughs> this interview. But let's just talk about a little bit. We'll go back to your upbringing. And I know that you have a very unique story. You, you overcame a lot of adversity. So tell us a little bit about who you are, how your childhood shaped you know, who you are today. Um, well, first of all, thank you for, for having me as a guest. Um, it's always, uh, to me, I think that um, we all have a purpose. And part of my purpose is to be able to, um, to share my story. And, um, and if for, for any reason it resonates with anybody, um, you never know what anybody's going through. So, um, so thank you again for having me. You're welcome. So, <laughs> so um, you know, I, I, I definitely share my story, not for anybody to feel sad or feel sorry, because I don't. Um, I think that my past, my childhood, my upbringing is definitely what helped me um, have that quote-unquote fighter spirit, um, literally. Um, um, you know, my parents are traditional, very traditional, old-fashioned, um, thinking from Colombia, from um, uh, specifically Barraquilla, Colombia. And, um, you know, they were just very traditional, very strict. Uh, my father was extremely strict, but he also happened to be an alcoholic, very abusive, um, just not, um, you know, any in today's in today's world, um, definitely would um, be uh, blocked away. So, um, so I, I definitely, um, you know, take everything that you know. I would. I am one of four sisters, and we grew up in a one-bedroom apartment. So it wasn't so much that you know that it was a one bedroom apartment, but it was just um, living with uh, with someone, you know, your dad who you, um, you know, you wish or you think that um, would be the person to protect you, to nurture you and things like that. And that wasn't the case. Um, so, um, I definitely had a really tough upbringing with him, and um, he was removed from our home when I was uh, when I was eight years old, and that was the uh, that was the last time I saw him. And um, you know, my my mom, I understand it now as an adult, um, but back then it was really tough. You know, for a single mom to um, to take care of four daughters by yeah. herself. Um, so, and she definitely didn't have a good upbringing either. So she did the best that she could with what she had. But at that time, it wasn't enough for me. It wasn't what I needed. And I just felt, um, you know, I felt uh, miserable <laughs> and um, I just wanted peace and I, I didn't have that so when um, you know I took it upon myself one day I was um, 
you know, we had chores to do every weekend. And since it was my turn to do the dishes, after the dishes, one Sunday afternoon, we were flipping the channels and I stopped and it was um, the Boston Marathon. Mm. And I saw this, this petite woman going towards the finish line and she like got down, she kissed the floor, she was crying. But I mean, I had no idea what I was watching. I just know that I was just hypnotized by that. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to do that one day. And everybody, and I said it out loud. I didn't even realize that I said it out loud. And everybody started laughing at me. Like my mom, my sisters. I mean, again, now I would understand it. But back then I was like, what are you laughing at? I'm going to do it. And I literally woke up the next day and I, I ran down Queens Boulevard. I mean, I, I lasted a mile, but I was just like, okay. And at that age, I think I was like 13, 14 years old. Every other day, I took it a block more. And by the end of a couple of months, I was running a 5K. And then, you know, and I took it upon myself to find out how. My dream was to now run the New York City Marathon. And- um, You and were 13 at the time. Yeah, and I, you know, I did, I, I, I enlisted in my first 5k. And I told this guy, I remember I told this guy, um, you know, my dream is to run the marathon. And he started laughing. He's like, how old are you? And then I was like, I and I told him and, um, you know, and then he's like, listen, I'm going to give you the name of the person who can probably help you, but you have to train, you really have to train. I trained for like a year and a half or so, and then I, I mustered up the courage, and I marched up to um, New York Roadrunners, and um, and I went to the front desk, and I said, I need to speak to Alan Steinfeld. Get out of here. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have pictures and everything. I went up, and the and the girl was like, do you have an appointment? And I'm like, I don't, but I need to speak to him, and, and she says, well, why? Um, and I said, because I am going to run the New York City Marathon. And she also, and then, and she also smiled, but she went and she got him. Yeah. And Alan Steinfeld came down, he brought me up to his office and he's like, tell me your story. And that, and I told him what was going on. I told him my background. I told him about my dad and I told him, you know, what my situation was about my dreams and everything. And you, you're not going to believe this. I mean. He, um, he gave me um, a year's worth of training classes wow. and, a free, and a free pass to the New York City Marathon. Yeah. I, ran, I ran the New York City Marathon, my first ever at the age of 16. Oh, my God. You know, I would <laughs> say that I don't believe it, but now having known you, <laughs> I, I believe this. That, that is incredible. I mean, Alan Seinfeld um, became my friend um like he became my my friend i ran the new york city marathon um uh, while before i started working there for nine consecutive years um and then once um when i was boxing when i turned pro he came to my fight wow so yeah alan steinfeld i mean not a lot not to, i mean the people that know him know that he was just amazing but he was just humble and very giving i mean to just a kid out of just walking out of the street saying I have to I need to talk to Alan Steinfeld yeah um but but he did he was just very giving and I I might he must have seen something in my face too and you know and he gave me that opportunity that I that I cherish for life when when I crossed that finish line you know it was bittersweet um you know a lot of people have 
their loved ones and I, I didn't have anyone but it was like I said it was bittersweet it was very empowering that I could do that by myself and then I said okay you know I made like an internal promise I'm like until you know I can and until maybe I die I would like to run at least one marathon every year just you know to to remind me of everything it took um, to complete my first one. Yeah. So I have, I have, um, from that time, I have run at least one, sometimes two or three, but at least one every year. And it's, and I remember, you know, everything that I went through to get me to that starting line and finish line. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It really, it makes me think, you know, I think it makes you think about what decisions can you make that could possibly change somebody's life. I mean, him giving you that opportunity, you know, it really puts you, I think on it, it sounds like a trajectory to, you know, diving into the endurance world, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, just watching how exhausted, um, the person that year that won it was Olga Markova. I'll never forget that. And just watching how fatigued, but how happy she was mm. that that triggered something in me that says I need to know what that feels like mm. and I did <laughs> you know I definitely did a firsthand find out what that felt like and I was hooked I was like okay through the challenge through the pain through everything I felt cleansed it was a very cleansing feeling like all the stuff that had happened with my childhood for those moments through the pain was like non-existent. I felt, you know, it was an amazing feeling. And I feel like I look for that all the time. And I sometimes want to like top it each time to see, you know, how far I can go. Um, you know, at the time, not too many people believed in me or supported me. So, um, so I found that, you know, being self-reliant is very important as well. Yeah. So, um, but of course, you know, none of that would have been um, possible if, you know, Alan Steinfeld didn't give me that opportunity. Right. You know, um, legally, um, now I think marathons, you can run it, um, you have to be at least 18 years old. So, you know, <laughs> again, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, he somehow was um his heart was softened or something i just i don't know but you know I'll, I'll never forget that that is awesome that is awesome so i'm noticing in the background you've got a lot of boxing swag is that the next chapter of the story after you know you got involved in the marathon running how i know we talked about in the bio you took some classes or a course how did you i mean become a professional boxer it's amazing so, um, so yeah, I did, I did start with the, my first sport was ballet. I was um, diagnosed with a mild case of ADD when I was like six years old. And, um, and it was advice to my mom to, you know, put me in some extracurriculum activities um, to help drain the excess um, energy. Um, you know, and ballet, it's beautiful. I love it. And part of my flexibility comes from, you know, a few years of ballet um and but 
you know, that ended, uh, the program ended, and then I, I on my own, <laughs> saw um, a martial arts school, and I went into there, and I took a free class, a free trial, and I loved it, mm. and, um, and I did martial arts, uh, practice martial arts, Kyokushin, for about six years, I won a world title, um, wow. and uh, <laughs> in full contact, um, but that whole contact, that intensity um, changed my life. It, the difference in my um, focus in school and in everything, just even my personality changed. It was amazing. So, um, but um, once I won the world title in that, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And at the time, um, I, was, I, I had already left my home. Um, and I was working at a domestic violence shelter called Sanctuary for Families. And they offered um, the employees um, free uh, classes at the new school. So I signed up for the Art of Boxing, which when I went there, I was totally disappointed because it was um, like a box aerobics class. Okay. And I remember the instructor, he's six foot five, Martin, about 250 pounds, huge. And he's like, okay, see you next week, kid. And I'm like, I'm not coming back to this. And he's like, well, why not? And um, I said, because this is like a box aerobics class and I, I wanted to fight. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm like, you know, I, I'm into karate, into martial arts, and I just wanted to better my punches and I wanted to fight. And then he's like, let me see what you have. Throw any punches you want and I'll, I'll block them. <laughs> And I'm like, and I'm throwing punches. I'm like, at the time, I'm like 110 pounds, 115 pounds. And he's huge. And then he's blocking everything. And yeah. it's hurting. And I just knew from martial arts that the one place that you cannot build muscle, no matter how big you are, is the solar plex. Okay. So I, I found an opening and right there in the solar plex. And I punch him as hard as I possibly could. <laughs> And um, he was like, he was like, he was almost about to vomit. He was like, you know, um, women's boxing just became legal in New York. And it's true. Women's boxing in New York became legal in 1995. So um, he's like, um, he's like, I'll train you. And I was the first male or female um, boxer. He was a boxer himself and he's a trainer. But he mostly trained, um, at the time, recreational boxers. So I was the first one that he um, trained to fight competitively. Mm. And, um, and he told me, like, later on, and then he's like, listen, honestly, when I first saw you, I'm like, no, this, girl, <laughs> this, 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 this kid is going to get hurt. She's, she's, she's too pretty. She's too fragile. That's the word he used. She's, okay. she, she's pretty and fragile. And, um, and I could not describe you as casual, <laughs> Patty. <laughs> yeah, well, the, we're talking about 1997. We were talking about a few years ago. Yeah, quite yeah. A, and I was, I definitely had much more of a baby face. Right. And, um, and he trained me for, he trained me, he trained me for, for yeah, like half a year. I go into my first competition, the Golden Gloves, the preliminaries. And um, it's in this Catholic school right here in Queens. Yeah. And, you know, you draw, you draw um, numbers, one will fight two and three will fight four. Right. And of course, I draw this girl, I'll never forget, her last name is Barboza. 
she had been in jail, had been in jail, um, out of jail like for a few months, had a scar from here to down here. Oh my and God. when she saw me, she was like, yes. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a quick night and i want i'm not gonna lie i'm like i had tears in my eyes i'm like oh my gosh i was i was super scared and i remember that my coach's brother john he said to me are you are you nervous and like of course my eyes were watery i'm like yes <laughs> and he's like well you wouldn't be human you wouldn't be normal if you weren't nervous he's like take all that and use it for good. Don't let that paralyze you. And um, and then that totally stuck. Um, and you know, I and as I'm coming into the ring, the crowd is instead of cheering me, they're like, "Oh no!" I was like, "Oh gosh!" <laughs> so you know, we go into the ring, and it was honestly like a switch that went on. It was a completely different, you know, Patty. And all I remember was that, you know, I wouldn't stop punching. I wouldn't stop punching. And um, I stopped her um, in the first round. I, I, I scored my first knockout as an amateur on my first fight. And, um, and I just remember my coach being super proud. And it was the first time in my life that someone said to me, I'm proud of you. Um, so boxing became like, you know, it was like my, my, it was my everything. Um, it shaped me, um, into the person that I am today because, um, boxing is a very difficult, it's a very harsh, it's a very violent sport. And it's very similar to what my life was when I was growing up. So I definitely um, related to a lot of the things that happened. It is definitely unfair, just like life is. So, um, so definitely, um, I uh, Boston gave me some of the greatest moments of my life, and some of the hardest, and some of the most saddest um, moments. But again, you know, it, it helped shape me into the person, the athlete that I am, and you know. Um, things um, I've had many fights, many bouts where um, I thought <laughs> or anybody else would have thought, okay, this girl is done. And just when you think you're done or you can't give anymore, you just got to get up and keep, you know, keep punching and not give up. And those are the fights that definitely made me, um, you know. Uh, two golden gloves, a national championship. Um, if you saw, you know, the girl that I had for the national championship, you know, in boxing, you fight, and for those national, those championship bouts, you fight preliminary, um, quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. So you fight four fights. If you lose any of those, you're out. And, you know, I made it to the finals for the Nationals. And again, you know, the girl that, that I had to fight, um, her name was Leo, downtown Leona Brown. And they also called her Little Tyson. She knocked everybody out um, to get to the finals. And they, you know, this fight was on ESPN2. Um, and even the, the, the commentators, oh my gosh, he's a famous commentator. I can't remember his name, Al something. Um, 
and you know even they were saying okay the favorite is little Tyson here <laughs> and you know and uh you know I won a unanimous decision and it, again it was just defying the odds and I think you know um that's you know my kind of like my thing I like to defy the odds especially you know um there's that saying sometimes you have to be your own hero um so uh yeah so boxing definitely is definitely special in so many ways very hard um you know uh one of my last fights um my opponent gave me an intentional headbutt that opened a six inch gash on my eye and um and and that definitely took me out for quite some time and actually that's what <laughs> that's what that's what got me into my next you know passion which is mountaineering yes, um, yes. <laughs> before we jump into that i do have to say when we went on the the hike for the penny loop you okay patty is very humble and i've i've asked her to not hold back in sharing everything um when we were out hiking she mentioned in passing like you know she was a boxer and i was picking up that she was a boxer like a legitimate boxer so when i got home i googled patty and there's a website there's a wikipedia on patty and she was in a gatorade commercial so i'm i'm thankful that you you know you're you're sharing all this because it, it really does give great background on who you are as a person so i know that a lot of people I've, I've chatted with leading up to this are very excited to hear about your journey into mountaineering and your experiences in that and what you're doing what you're working on right now so let's jump into mountaineering so it sounds like you wrapped up boxing and then you got into more on the endurance side of alpine climbing and um, ultra running. So let's let's chat about that. Yes. Well. Um, yeah. I mean, boxing was good. Was uh, amazing. But to be honest, you know, as a female boxer, um, a boxer at my level, um, you know, having won, I, I also won the New York State title here in New York, which was amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, but a boxer, a male boxer at my level would easily be making six figures. I will never see anything like that. And I'm so thankful that, you know, that I have other skills and I did, you know, graduate from, you know, as, as an EMT, I did have my medical degrees. I'm also an, a Spanish interpreter, among other things. So I have definitely a backup. Right. So when um, so when I got injured in the boxing, I mean I would I I haven't officially retired from the sport if you know if the opportunities were enticing or something I would I would fight but um, while I was injured um, you know I have always loved the mountains hiking but um, my boss at the time um, wanted to like con me into going to Utah, which mm. I'm hopefully going back to, um, and to do some work for her. And she's like, listen, I know that you like the mountains and stuff like that. You come and you will do some work for me. 
uh, I'm going to give you a good birthday gift. I'm like, okay. Okay. Um, so, so I go and, you know, I do the work and everything. And, um, and on my birthday, um, you know, uh, so, uh, this guy comes and, you know, is picking me up and I'm like, oh, what's going on? He's like, um, I, um, I've been hired to take you on your birthday gift. I'm like, okay. And, um, I had never worn, listen, he had, um, mountaineering boots, snowshoes, crampons, ice axe, oh, a beacon, harness. Wow. I'm like, oh, okay. So, um, okay, so so we're going where we have the snowshoes and everything. And um, Utah is already in altitude. So I'm like a little winded, but I'm okay. So we make it to this like halfway point. And he says to me, um, you know, most, most, first timers, I would say all of them, usually this is the, the spot that they turn around. And he's like, there's no shame in turning around here. He's like, you're, this is your first time ever. You didn't even, you've never even wore crampons. Right. He's like, so yeah, so let me know how you feel about, you know, we can just go back now. I'm like, this is not the summit. And he's like, <laughs> no. And I'm like, where's the summit? He's like, you see those rocks? It's like alpine um, rock climbing on those rocks and behind that two more climbs is the summit and he's like it's about four hours at least another four hours and I'm like and then it was very intimidating it was very super scary and, and I'm like listen I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie I'm like you know uh, I'm overwhelmed but there's no way I'm coming down now we have to make it to the summit so he's like okay let's go for it and you know, I summited. It was uh, twelve thousand feet um, on alpine rock climbing, crampons, and ice axe. And um, I remember like summiting, um, and it was like the most amazing feeling. And I was just hooked on that. I couldn't stop thinking about like going back to the mountains. And he, um, this is a very experienced guy. He said this is that was the first time any client on their first try would summit such a high altitude wow, you know, awesome. alpine. yeah so his name is kino and i'm going back for my birthday hopefully um this year um to climb fifahorn but that was my intro into alpine climbing and sure enough right after that i booked my first expedition um in ecuador um, and I climbed, I summited uh, four out of the five high altitude mountains that we were programmed to do. I went back, you know, three three months later, and then I was able to summit all five mountains. And right from there, I was like, okay, you know, um, I just don't want to keep climbing without a purpose. Mm. And and I searched and I asked, what is one of the highest levels of mountaineering? that anybody can, you know, can achieve. And I found out <laughs> um, that one of the highest levels that any mountaineer's dream is um, the seven summits of the world. Mm -hmm. And the seven summits of the world um, is the highest peak in each continent. Um, so, uh, so Africa would be Kilimanjaro. Um, here in North America would be Denali. South America would be Aconcagua, um, Europe would be Elbrus, um, then there's Antarctica, which is um, Vincent, 
um, and then uh, Asia is Everest, and then Karten's Pyramid in Indonesia. So those are the seven summits. So, uh, you know, I think now about 400 people worldwide um, have accomplished this. That's a small number. That's a very small number. However, what would make it absolutely a big deal for someone like me is because I live in sea level. <laughs> I live at sea level, which, you know, um, that's one. You know, um, when I summited, I have um, summited three out of seven summits of the world, um, Kilimanjaro, Aconcagua, and Albert. And I remember, you know, Aconcagua is tw almost 23,000 feet above sea level. And, you know, um, the oxygen there is ridiculous. It's so thick. It's, it's a super, the hardest climb I've ever done. Um, and I remember when I came back down, you know, at base camp, they were congratulating me. They were like, you know, congratulations. You know, uh, half of my team was evacuated for, you know, pulmonary edema, um, which is- word which is you know you get fluid in your lungs and you can internally um you know drown in your own blood right. so um you know they were asking me congratulating me like where do you train and i was like well in the catskills in new york <laughs> and they were they were laughing they're like listen if you don't want to tell us don't tell us but don't lie yeah, I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not lying. That's where I train. I mean, yeah. you have I, I do the best with what I have. And that's what I have. I have the cat skills, you know. <laughs> um, so, um, so that is really my passion at the moment. And that's my goal. That's my dream. Um, so that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, <laughs> so you've done three out of the seven. Do you yeah. have your eye on the next one? I know, uh, the pandemic, I'm sure, has you know affected those plans. But what, where are you at right now in terms of working towards your goal? Yeah, well, um, it's three out of the seven. This year, I was supposed to go to Denali, but the pandemic canceled it. There is, you know, a possibility. I'm trying to see if um, in March um, we uh, I go and do Carson's Pyramid um, and Denali in June. So. Um, getting to uh, the seventh of uh, the of uh, the seven next year that would bring me up to five. That would be an amazing opportunity. Um, but you know, one of the things the pandemic, you know, um, has taught me is patience, and um, not only patience, but like you have to have a good attitude while you know when these things happen um you know when denali didn't go through it got canceled i mean nobody um denali, the denali national park canceled all permits no one for 2020 went to you know denali and um you know when that happened i wasn't um i wasn't angry i wasn't that um, I, I think, you know, I, I have to say this and not, not because I want to rub my religion or faith in anybody's face, but um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be anywhere without my faith. You know, when you're in the mountains and you're well prepared, you're well trained, 
but the one thing you can't control is the weather. You know, uh, that's mother nature right there. And, um, and when you're in trouble, when you're cold, when you're hungry and stuff like that, this just, you know, I, I definitely um, have a lot of faith, you know, surviving in New York City, living on my own since I was 15 um, and doing all the things that I've done. You know, I literally uh, put myself <laughs> in danger all the time. You know, I'm an EMT. Um, you know, uh, I ride the subways, I ride the buses. You know, a person that is at high risk for COVID. You know, I've been. You know, I've been very fortunate. So I owe a lot of this, honestly, to my faith. So, um, so. You know that that being said, once the pandemic happened and you know my plans for Denali got canceled, I was like, okay, um, if it was, I don't know, there was something internally that said, okay, this is your chance to do good and give back. And um, right then and there, um, I um, I signed up with five different organizations to help. Um, um, distribute food um, because so many people got laid off and it's incredible that in a city like New York um, there's so many people um, hungry and in need so um, you know uh, I get called <laughs> literally like almost every day so please come help you know pack fruits and distribute food it's like you're in good shape and you <laughs> you 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 you're the one that gives like the largest amount of food and drops them off at the residences so um so despite the fact that a lot of my plans for climbing got canceled um I you know it's I've been really busy with the hospital and EMT work with the um, with Latina Share, the, the breast cancer organization, and then, you know, and volunteering. So, um, and then I haven't stopped training. <laughs> you know, if anything, I have never, <laughs> I have never run so, I mean, I've always run, but I've never run as much as I have um during this pandemic i you know like if i was um i wish there was like a hundred miler that i could do because i think i would uh <laughs> i would do well um so 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 my mountaineering dreams they don't and i i don't think like in my head the way my my brain functions um unless something is accomplished it yeah. doesn't it doesn't leave my head so right. it may not you know my plan, my focus is to get two of those summits next year. But if for whatever reason it doesn't happen, the dream doesn't die. You know, right. it, it's it's there and it'll happen when it's meant to happen. When you know, when when it's safe to do so, and you know. But in the meantime, you know, I have you know, there's other things I could do. You know, I've uh, I've loved the the trail running. I've done you know, um, I love these uh, these high peaks that 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 we've been doing. Um, so and there's other mountains. I remember one of my mentors. His name is Jim Gagney. Um, he was the first New Hampshire resident to climb the Seven Summits. Um, he said, "Listen, don't." You know, don't obsess over the seven summits. There's other major mountains that you can climb that will give you the experience and the skills needed for the mountaineering. Mountaineering is a very serious, serious. I mean, people don't realize, I mean, how, you know, dangerous 
uh, it is. You know, um, in Mount Washington is a small mountain, but you go in there in the winter, and I hope, you know, I'm trying to get Rosa and you maybe to, <laughs> to do that. Me twice. <laughs> I'm not saying no, but I know better now. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing experience. Um, it's a small mountain, but it's a nasty little mountain with like crazy winds. But, right. you know, there's, a, you know, I can work on my skills, um, you know, learning your ropes and how to self-arrest in case, you know, God forbid you you fall into a crevasse and things like that. So I definitely think I could do and concentrate on if, you know, if for whatever reason the pandemic doesn't allow next year for the mountains that I'm focusing on. But, but you know, there's, uh, there's big dreams there. Right. Totally. So... When we were in New York, it was you, myself, Rosa, and Michael Feldman. I'm not sure if he's not here. He can chime in. We were uh, we grabbed some food the night before the traverse, and I remember you and Michael were talking about mountaineering. Uh, Michael is into that as well, and you were talking about Denali. And I remember looking over to Rosa, and we were like, "What are they talking about? This is insane." Uh, we've got a couple minutes left, so this will probably be my last question before we open it up to the group. What would you say, because I think I remember you saying, I, I think I asked, what was the, what do you think is the hardest summit out of the seven? And it wasn't Everest, wasn't it Denali was your answer? Well, Denali is, is just uh, the conditions could, depending on when you go, um, could be harsher um, than Everest. The cold is incredible, um, and and just the uh, the glacier and the um, the crevasses, and you know, um, I, I I don't remember how many people I saw with frost a frostbite on their hands and in their face. You know, um, when you get to fourteen thousand six hundred feet. There is an 800 foot um, ice wall. You know, that while I was there, um, there was a, a experienced climber, a French guy, who, you know, who just missed a step and he fell, um, broke his ribs, and they had to helicopter him out. Uh, so <clears throat> that Denali, which is the one that I'm planning to go to um, in June next year, is definitely one of the harshest ones. It, I, 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 I see it as right um, on par with Everest. Right. Can you share, because I remember you got you talking with Michael, explaining how, because you have to have a permit for Denali, and that only a certain amount are given out to women. I want you to talk about that and the reasons why. It was very, very interesting. Yes. So there is a book that they recommend that you should read um, before you go to Denali. It's a super helpful book um, where, you know, um, they tell you how to prepare the training, um, all the food. So um, so I was, I was reading it. I wanted to be really uh, prepared because um, once they give you – a permit, you also have to go to um, an interview with the rangers it's okay. and um, once you get there and they'll like in interview you and ask you questions and things like that to see if you're an experience before they actually hand you your permit number and then they'll hand you um, uh, 
three cans where is where you poop and go to the bathroom in, yeah. and they they're barcoded. So it's a, it's an amazing process. But in this book, there was a section, and I thought it was interesting. And this chapter, it was um, a chapter called just for women and I'm like oh <laughs> okay so um one of the things as a female you know um there's not um as a female women um men, men don't have to worry about getting their their periods on the mountain so I um, you know I dread when that happens um when I was in Aconcagua it wasn't fun at all and it definitely made me weaker um and sure enough right before summit day i got it and i was just like miserable yeah. so i was like okay how do i not get my period so i was about to go on birth control not to kind of like stop it so i'm reading this chapter and it says okay <laughs> if you're a female and you're thinking about taking birth control don't <laughs> um because um they have found that it'll um increase your chances of cardiac arrest oh wow so i was like ah it's <laughs> <so> good <laughs> so um and then on top of that one of the statistics that i found really interesting as well was that um out of uh over they give a uh, about a 1200 permits for um denali and only one percent of those permits are given to women um, not that they don't qualify or anything, but uh, women don't even bother going. Um, well, that one percent. Um, it's and the reason being is that Denali um, is one of the only, if not the only, mountain where um, you can't hire Sherpas or porters to carry the loads for you. On Everest, on Aconcagua, you can hire porters or you know uh, the donkeys or you know the camels will help with the porters and everything. On Denali, um, you carry everything. And I was, I went with, uh, when I went, um, I carried about 65 uh, pounds on my backpack, on my back. And then on your sled, you carry another 60, 70 pounds. So I was pulling more, more than my own body weight. Wow. So, <laughs> So, and, but I, for Denali and for Aconcagua, you know, um, when I was in Aconcagua, I was on a team of 12 and I was the only one who didn't hire a porter because I knew that my intention was to go to Denali. And if I can't carry my stuff in Aconcagua, then I have no business being in Denali. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, for, for each of those major mountains, I trained for like a year and I trained like an animal. Yeah. <laughs> You know, one of the things that um, my coach in boxing taught me was to always go over-prepared and not under-prepared. And, and that mentality always stuck with me, you know. Um, I'll never forget, you know, while I was training for the Nationals, it was a, a, a hot summer week and it was like a heat wave. Uh, one of those, those crazy heat waves that, that New York City gets. Yeah. And um, it was the weekend, it was on a Sunday, and I'm like, you know, making plans, I'm going to go to the beach and everything, and, you know, I had just finished like a five-hour workout, and he's like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow, and I'm like, it's Sunday, and, you know, I need a day off, and I, I told you I was planning already to go to the beach, he's like, nope, you're coming <laughs> in here. 
and I wanted to like murder him. Like there was like daggers <laughs> coming, and he's like, "You're gonna thank me for this later." He's like, "I I told you that I want you to train seven days a week." And he's like, "While your opponent is drinking, sipping margaritas on the beach." Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know, so I, I, I definitely um, over-prepare and I'd rather go there and not have any problems. And, you know, and as far as like physical fitness, usually I'm very well prepared. So that is great. All right. With the few minutes that we have left, uh, we're going to open it up for questions. So if you're watching this and you've been listening, you can all you got to do is just type your question in the live chat and I will read them to Patty. So one question we have from Rebecca is Rebecca Constant wants to know, do you run ultra marathons? Um, well, I, my first, you know, ultra is considered anything up beyond 26 miles. And maybe three years ago, New York Roadrunners has this thing called the um, something six, I think it's called the New York 60K. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I was just like, man, nine loops of Central Park. <laughs> but then one day I'm like, you know what? I want to know if I can go beyond 26.2. Mm-hmm. And I've, that, you know, uh, I've done now 30 full marathons. It's just like, okay, this is just nagging me. And I went ahead and I did it. And I remember, you know, I'm running and, um, and, this I was like annoyed because there was like a two bikes behind me. I'm like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and then like after the first loop, I hear the guy in the walkie-talkie. He's like, yep, I have the the lead female right here. And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't even realize because <laughs> because I wasn't accustomed to um, ultra running and like maybe holding back on the pace. I went out like a mental patient. Right. You know, so, so I was the lead female for the first six laps. Uh, so, but yeah, sure enough, uh, you know, I, I kind of lost that pace. But um, in my first ultra, you know, uh, 30, I think it's 36, 37.2 miles, um, I came in the top 10 women. Um, awesome, Patty. And, and, and that was just like, and then I, because I just didn't know enough um i was like oh if i did if i did that i can do 100 (laughs) and and i did i did something called the ultra pistol um in tennessee um it was 10 10 mile loops yeah and i almost died (laughs) i mean literally like i didn't train um specifically for it i just jumped into it and I remember like having to be wheelchair wheelchaired in the airport. I had cankles. I mean, I had... you got in a wheelchair at the airport? Yeah, I just I was so <laughs> I couldn't walk. I really couldn't walk. And that was like three, four years ago. And I said, okay, if I ever do, um, you know, those ultra distances, I want to be well prepared. And now I feel like I have enough knowledge. And I'm really well educated on it. And I would love to now like also concentrate on the ultra distances. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that was a long answer to your question. Yeah. <laughs> I, so. was hoping, uh, I was hoping you were going to make it out to the Watchung Reservation to do the, the, fun, the 100 mile fun run. With yeah, us. next <laughs> time for sure. <laughs> yeah, next, yeah, next time, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay, one more question for you that should wrap up our time is, and I'll, I'll fill them in on this, is this summer you've done some really awesome things. You've done Devil's Path, great, uh, the um, Escarpment Trail, the yeah. uh, great, uh, the Great Range Traverse, Pemi Loop. Those are the, those are the four, right? Yeah. Am I missing one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot. So what uh, they want to know is what is next for you in the near future? Are you training for something specifically right now besides the overall goal of the seven summits? Is there something on, on your horizon for what's next? Um, well, definitely. Um, uh, I've um, done a few, I have 16 out of the 46 or the 48, 16 out of the 48 either on that high peak. I would love to complete that. Um, as much as I could, so um, so definitely want to complete that, um, complete the the uh, the New Hampshire. Uh, I think there's 46ers there. Um, those are like hikes here. These are like personal goals that I want to do. But as far as like you know, besides the seven summits, I just want to keep climbing, um, and you know, I want to be more self-sufficient. I want to do some you know solo winter. Um, a sense, um, which, you know, uh, my sister, I, I'm not sure she's watching, but, you know, she's really like, like doesn't want, is not crazy about that. But I would like to do some winter alpine climbing on my own, just because I want to know that I could, you know, if I get in trouble, I can be, you know, I can uh, uh, be self-reliant. So, yeah, just more climbing, um, as as many climbs as I can. And, you know, as I mentioned before we started, um, you know, I'm going back to where it all started, Utah, but I'm going to go do what I first started with, but I'm going to do um, a major mountain um, in December, hopefully for my birthday. Um, it's called Pfeifferhorn, um, which is technical, and it looks like uh, Meru in Pakistan. So... <laughs> That's the next goal right now to survive that. That's amazing. That is that is totally awesome. I know we talked about in the summer. You and Rosa want to get me out to go on the do a little winter winter yes. with you. So <laughs> stay tuned for that, Sasquad. If it's gonna happen, I'm I'm actually positive it will. I'm excited to try it with you guys. So all right, it is nine o'clock, and just as I predicted. This hour went super fast, and I'm yeah, disappointed that we're out of time. Uh, real quick, who do you got down there with you? We can see. Oh, uh, this is this is this is my other like supporter here. This yeah. is Jack. We've been together for 11, almost 11 years in December. Holy I rescued I rescued him when he was six weeks old in North Carolina. That is awesome. I'm glad <laughs> I got to virtually meet him. I always see your pictures of of Jack on uh, social media. So. Thank you again, Patty, so much for joining us, being gracious with your time, sharing your incredible story. It was awesome. If you are watching this and you're, I'm sure like me, you're probably thinking, I need to send this to these friends. You can send them this link that's on Facebook Live. It'll, it'll be on our Facebook page from now until forever. Or in about a week or so, we're gonna upload it on our podcast. So you can search for Sasquatch Trail Runners Podcast anywhere that podcasts are streaming and you can catch up on that so thank you again patty and to thank everybody you. here watching we will see you on the trails soon so until then just keep it squatchy